Good morning, Journey. Go ahead and stand up with us. service we we get to celebrate baptism you can have a seat basically what we're doing today is we are celebrating the decision that some individuals have made to place their faith in Jesus and it's pretty much obvious there's something wrong with our world 
there's, as a matter of fact, if you were really, really honest, you'd, you'd say, there's something wrong with me. I mean, I, I complain about out there, I complain about them or those people or that group, but, but really, in the secret times, in the dark times of my own life, there's something wrong with me. And what we know is that the scriptures declare that from the very beginning, God made us with this desire for relationship. It says in the beginning that God used, once he created everything, and he once he put, you know, mankind in the garden of Eden, which basically is just the garden of life, that he said, here, um, you steward this, this world I've given you. I'm going to give you all of this to unwrap its mysteries, to discover its hidden things, to harness all the resources I have tucked into this planet for the good and the flourishing of humanity. For all that I've made, it's going to answer to you. You are my stewards. But there's one thing God said is there's a tree, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which I don't want you to eat anything from everything else in all the world is yours. Use it. Delight in it. Discover it. But this thing is not for you, not for now. And that's all we know. He just told them don't. And we don't know how much time passed. We don't know if it's one month. We don't know if it was 1,000 years. We have no idea the story is. But And, and even if you're like, I don't believe that. So, well, listen, I think, you will, I think you will agree. Something is broken in us. Well, the scriptures declare that Adam and Eve decided to eat that fruit at the temptation of the evil one, the serpent. And they fell. And the fall was not just like they fell down. They literally... There was a brokenness that entered humanity because the Bible says God promised if you eat that fruit, you'll, you won't know good and evil alone. That's not, you'll also die. And that's exactly what happened. There was a death. There was a physical death because then from that generation forward, everybody had a termination date. There was an expiration date on life. Everybody started dying from then on. But not only that, that wasn't the worst. It was, it was the spiritual relational death that was so taxing because that relationship that they had shared with God in the cool of the evening as he'd come to walk with them and share the delights and joys of their discovery it was gone because the perfect sinless God was not able to tolerate their presence it's like you and the son you just are made of different stuff and you cannot mix and God knew that there presence would be exterminated in his presence and they he separated them from him he moved them out of the garden and from that point forward humanity has been on a quest for trying to discover what it means to be self-ruled we told god we didn't want his rule this is what it looks like when we do our rule you have this camp and that camp this group and that group and they're always at war and disgusted with each other well into that story God brought out one person, a guy named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to renew my relationship with humanity, but I'm going to do it on a sacrificial system because something must die for there to be an atonement or a covering for sin. Sin brings death, but I'm going to let something else die so that you can live. So they developed this sacrificial system, and all the way up through Moses, this system was in play. But once again... The children of Israel, God's chosen, Abraham's children, they pushed away from God after the covenant was formed. They stepped back and said, no, we're going to do it our way. 
it led them to what it always leads us to, slavery. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and they found themselves in a place of brokenness and need and basically disconnect again from God. They began to cry out to God after hundreds of years of slavery. They said, God, we can't do this anymore. Whatever you say, whatever your requirements, whatever you want, we'll agree to it. Just set us free. God sent Moses. Moses brought in the, basically the plagues, and finally Pharaoh let him go after the death angel had to visit and take the life of every firstborn in the entire land of Egypt that was not in a home with blood over its doorpost. The death, again, of a separate substitute so that life can be preserved. And not only was there a death, which was a baptism into life, they had to pass through the doorway in order to gain life and freedom. Then they were taken out into the wilderness, and on their way, they had to pass through the waters of the Red Sea. There was a baptism. So we think baptism was something Jesus came up with, or John the Baptist. It actually was, a, it was foreshadowed way back at the very beginning, where God said, you need to pass through death in order to enter life, and I'm going to provide you the passageway. That Freedom caused them to come out into the wilderness where there was a time of waiting and testing and purification before they got to enter the land of promise. Flash forward to our generation and our life where we again have said, God, we got this. We've got our own set of rules. We've got our own way of understanding life. Yeah, what Adam and Eve said, hey, your rules sounded good for a while, but we think we got a better way. Well, that's true of us. Your rules might have worked in that century or that decade or with those people, but we're, we're like, come on, we're the... We're the most intelligent people who've ever walked the earth. We don't need those archaic rules. We've got it. And once again, we find ourselves enslaved to the very things we thought would set us free. That little thing that you do is now an addiction, a habit that you can't get by without. It's your coping mechanism. And God said, for every human heart that yearns and every human heart that seeks after him, he will be found by you. For every heart that turned to him in those days and every heart that turns to him now, we open ourselves to the opportunity for God to actually come in and provide a way out. And that way out was Jesus. No longer lambs or goats or sacrificial animals. Jesus stepped up being sinless. He could take our sin because he didn't have any of his own. He could go to our death because he was God and could raise back from the dead. He goes into the ground. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And we celebrate that in baptism as we say, I'm done with life on my terms. I, I want to return to the life with God. I'm stepping into faith that Jesus went to the cross to take not only my sins and the past, but he's taking my present and he's got me for my future, and I'm putting my faith in him. And all that he accomplished by going to the cross and taking all of my sin on him, he took all of God's wrath so that I now take his freedom. He took my unrighteousness, so now I swap places, get his righteousness. I'm right with God. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to make it. I don't have to fix it. I can't even buy it. God just gave it to me. And the Bible said it is by grace you receive, it is by faith that you've received this forgiveness. It is by grace, through faith, you become one with God. So what we do is we practice that same thing, the idea that we go into the water, we recognize one day, we, we come to this understanding that we are not okay. And we want to not only be given eternal life, but we want to have life now. We want to be alive now. 
The Bible says when we call out to God, he brings the sacrifice in that takes our place in death that we can now have life and that we step into the waters of baptism to celebrate that. Does the water make us saved? No. The water is just tap water. You can have it if you want after we're done. But what it is, it's special, it's holy in that it's set apart for this one purpose. It's set apart to celebrate the folks who have said, I'm giving up on life on my terms. I'm asking Jesus to apply all that he did to all that I've done to set me free. And then I know that life is going to be time in the wilderness as I go through a time of cleansing, purification, and anticipation of the promised land that I will live with God forever in his kingdom called heaven. That's what we're celebrating. And that's good news. I'm so excited that we have a couple people who are stepping up today to say, Jesus, you're my God. I'm putting my faith in you. I want relationship with you. I accept your gift, and I receive that life. Lead me. Lead me on. I'm going to ask uh, John and Christian to come join me on the stage. These two guys are going to be stepping in. What we also are saying as they come up to the stage, on a church level, we're saying these people who used to be a part of the gathering are now part of the family. Everybody who joins us joins the family. And they become part of the forever family of God for everybody who's stepped into that relationship and taken this, you know, this faith seriously. That God has forgiven my sins. I believe it. God has promised me new life. I believe it. God has offered me a way to live that is going to bring the flourishing he intended for me. I believe it. I'm stepping into that by faith today. This is what's happening today. I'm going to give the mic to you first. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is John Seabock. John, this is your moment that you're going to go public with your faith. It's like the little kid that told the pastor, when can I get advertised? And it's just that. It's, it's an advertisement for I'm stepping into my new life, and Jesus is the one I'm putting my faith in. Is that what you're doing today? Yes. And it's your decision then that you're going to give him not only your faith for your sins, but faith for your future, that he's going to lead you. Yes. And you're going to trust him to lead you day by day as his follower, and you're going to let him be your Lord, the leader of your life. Yes. Anything else you want to say? I'd just like to say uh, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and this is my way to start over. It is a start over. Awesome. Come on in. Oops. That's a slippery edge. John, this is, a, this is a historic moment. You can slide forward just a little bit this way. In that you have made a decision to follow Jesus. You have confessed him as your Savior and as your Lord. Because of your confession, because of your trust and your faith in him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Come on up and introduce yourself. It's on. Should be good to go. Good morning, Journey Church. Uh, my name is Christian Amador. Christian, you told me you wanted to get baptized, and you said you would like to share a little bit about your story. Why don't you tell us what's brought you to this moment? Definitely. Um, well... I'm only 23 years old. I uh, got married at the age of 19 to my beautiful wife, Jessica. Uh, <laughs> if I can say that in these four years, uh, I haven't been a husband, I haven't been a dad to my two little kids, 
been too focused on my career, which unfortunately I lost my job. So it went to nothing, right? And uh, turned to things that society thinks is okay, you know? And uh, unfortunately, it got me to, to walk away from my family. I walked out on them in December, and uh, I'm fortunate that my wife is giving me another opportunity. Wow. And this is my way to restart. And I just want to tell my mom, my sister, my wife, my wife's family, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. I love you all. Wow. It's, uh, and this is why we do what we do. Because everybody in life gets to the point where you need a do-over, you need a fresh start. Every one of us gets to the point, I don't care how good you feel like you are compared to somebody else, compare yourself to God's righteous standard, Jesus, and you begin to see where the holes are in our self-help plan. And Tammy, I appreciate that. My wife and my family have been, you know, they grew up in a Christian home. My mom and my sister transitioned three years ago um, due to family issues as well. And I've been ignorant. If my wife always wanted to go to church. I said, no, we're not going. I don't want to go. We want to go on Sunday. No, on Saturday, I'd rather do something else that's going to prevent me to go on Sunday. And I opened my eyes. I don't know what it is. I opened my eyes. Uh, it probably took for me to go very low to lose my family, my children, uh, lose the respect of my own parents to finally realize, you know, there's something better for me out there. Right. <laughs> God is alive, and God is working right here. It's like you don't have to go out somewhere else watching Christian television. It happens right here in the Antelope Valley. You just step on in here, watch. It's a little slippery there. Same, you face that way. Yeah, I want you to look right in that little camera right there. Christian, this is a, it's a turning point in life. And just like John and the one, the others, this first service this morning, it's a way of saying, God, I'm, I'm putting my faith in you. No longer what I can do for you. It's what you've done for me. Put my faith in that. And then I'm going to just trust you to lead me from here. Because you've confessed Jesus is your Lord, the one you're putting your faith in. Because you've asked him now to lead your life. I'm going to baptize you today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. these for later too if not they look my size thank you this is the thing about life when you reach that point it's like hey I'm I'm ready for a change we're ready to help you 
If you're ready to say, I put my faith in Jesus, we're ready to give you an opportunity to go public because Jesus commanded to all his, all his followers, Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all the people, all the nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as direct commandment. That's why we do it. If anybody else wants to join us today, it's like your, your public opportunity, I'll give you the window. We have a couple more towels. Sarah's ready to bring you on in. So anybody else want to step up today is your opportunity. You don't have to talk. You do have to say yes to Jesus. All right, we'll do this again in September. Guys, stand with me. We're going to worship God as we continue our service.
Every time. 
Good morning, good morning. My name is Randall. We'll be doing our tithe message this morning. But before we do, can we celebrate those baptisms one more time? I mean, this is, this is real life change that is happening uh, because of the works of God through Journey Church. And I just think that that's incredible. I mean, that's the point of it all, right? That lives are changed. And those lives are going to go change other lives as well. And that's, the, that's what's so powerful about the God that we serve. Uh, it's, a, it's a physical act, right? Sitting in some tap water. But it leads to emotional, spiritual, physical change in our lives. And that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So we're going to kind of stay on that theme for, for the message of tithe. Um, we're going to look at some scripture. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. And this is when Jesus is starting to call his very first disciples. Um, it just says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who they called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
And at once they left their nets and they followed him. This is a disruption in lives that led to ripples in eternity. I mean, the church was built upon Peter, his work that he did for our church. And it's a physical disruption that led to just massive impact on our world. And when we think about what tithe can be, sometimes it helps if we think about it as a physical disruption. It's us saying, hey, you know what? I'm not putting my faith in a bank account. I'm not putting my faith in financial security. I'm not putting my faith in knowing I'll be sure to be able to pay bills or have a retirement account that's really big one day. But I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in a God that moves people and moves things here in this valley, as we saw today. And I think when we think about the financial decisions we make, we want to structure them in a way that allows us to honor God and show God that He is what is most important to us. Um, so there's three ways you can tie that journey. We can do it in person, which is going to happen here in just a moment. The ushers will be coming up and passing some buckets around. You can also go online to avjourney.com, or you can text GIVE to 661-441-3511. You can set it up however you like there. But I think today, the ushers can come forward. We're going to say a prayer, and it's just going to be one of gratitude that Journey Church is a place where lives get changed. And Journey Church is a community where people grow stronger together. And I think we should all be thankful for that this morning. So bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to experience baptisms, to get to witness lives be changed here this morning. We pray that you would be with those individuals, that you'd use this as a turning point in their lives, that they would grow closer with you and closer with those in this church as well, because it takes a village. It takes all of us together uh, to live out your calling, to live out your purpose. But I ask that Journey Church would use the tithes, the offerings that are given this morning, wisely and well so that we can continue to be a place where restoration can occur. We can continue to be a place that shines a light in what seems to be such a dark valley. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, as my wife joins me on stage, I want to say good morning to those of you watching online. Hello. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're new here today, we're especially excited that you decided to join us. If you would like, there's a special gift for you, a sweet treat. It's at our hotspot, so right outside these back doors and to the right. Uh, if you want to stop by after service, we'd love to say hello and meet you. Yep. Hi. Like Randall said, my name's Ashley. Um, and if you are in fifth or sixth grade, you're officially dismissed. You can head out and meet your group in the lobby. Um, also, if you're here with a little one this morning and maybe they get a little fussy, know that we have a space in the back left of the auditorium for you. It's called our cry room. It's got a comfortable couch. You're still going to be able to see and hear the message, but it'll afford you a bit of privacy if that's what you need this morning. Yeah, and here at Journey Church, if you're new or not new, we really do believe in the power of relationships. That's why we're hosting a Connect Night this Tuesday. So in two days, it's going to be here at the church, June 4th from 6.30 until 8 p.m. We are going to have a taco truck. So if you want to show up at 6.30, you can grab some food. And this really is a great time to get to know some of the folks you're sitting with and just develop some more relationships at the church. We hope to see you there. 
So there are a couple of summer opportunities for our students that we want to make you guys aware of. First is our youth summer camp. That is coming up very soon. It is June 10th through 14th, so next week. This is for our 7th through 12th graders. They're going to be heading out to Camp Pondo. And if you're interested in attending and you haven't registered yet, make sure you go to the hotspot. The total cost for the week is $375. We're asking for a $50 deposit today so we can get that accurate head count for next week. We have another camp though, if you're not in seventh to 10th grade, but instead are in first through sixth grade. We've got the J Kids Summer Camp coming up. It's gonna be June 17th to the 21st. It's gonna be here at the church. So parents, if you're looking for a week of maybe some relief, you can bring your children here all day. Uh, it's gonna be the theme of being known. So lots of fun activities, but with the message of what does it look like to be known by a God that's loving and cares for us as individuals. Uh, registration for that is coming up soon and the cost is about $150. If you would like to pick up information, you can do it at the hotspot or at either of the kids, camp or kids registration tables uh, after service. And we definitely believe in the power of these camps and we don't want a family's ability to pay to stand in between a student and the opportunity to participate. So if you're interested in helping to sponsor a student either fully or partially for one of these camps, we'd really love to connect with you at the hotspot after service. That's all we've got for you this morning. So stand up, say hello to somebody around you as Pastor Dave comes and joins us for the sermon. Thanks. As you guys grab your seats, we have, uh, we got one more. Somebody else want to get baptized? Come on over to the light. We're going to step right up here in the front so we can see everybody. I'll give you that. Oh, thank you. I got my own and uh, got inspired. So tell me who you are. My name is Frank Martinez, and I've been a member of this church for about just over a year now. Just over a year. Frank. This is awesome. Man, what an it exciting moment. I mean, you told me that you wanted to make a declaration today. What is it you're doing? Just making a proclamation that uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's awesome. Well, you've come to the right place. We just so happened to have a bathtub right here hey, on stage. that's great. Awesome. Horse trough. But anyway. Nice and clean. It, yeah, it's nice and clean. Four people before you, I think, this sure. morning. So <laughs> anything else you want to share? Uh, no. Okay. I just hope, uh, actually, there is. Um, you know, uh, I hope this speaks volumes to my, my family, my son, and that they uh, follow in my lead and uh, make that declaration as well. Excellent. I couldn't say it better. Well done. 
All right, well, you can step on in there, <clears throat> facing this way. Chords. Frank, you have made a big decision today, and uh, it's one of those moments where we just get to celebrate with you, the whole body around you, just celebrating the fact that God has prompted you to take the step of obedience today. You've said yes, that you're putting your faith in Jesus to take care of your sins, past, present, future, right? Yes. You're believing that God has taken care of all of that when Jesus went to the cross, right? Right. And that his resurrection power now dwells in you as you step out and follow Jesus. Is that right? I now baptize you because you've confessed these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sarah's <laughs> got a towel right here. Slippery? It's just electric. They mix real well. Water and electricity. Wow. What a day. Hey, guys, thanks for being here. I'm so excited we get to join together and celebrate. As Randall said, this is life change. This is down, like, right in the nitty-gritty of life where we get to experience not only what God is doing in others, but we get to participate in what God wants to do in us. And as we're in this series called Bottled Up, what we've been looking at is the fact that in church world, we often take, um, we take a look at ourselves, we realize we're not quite what we should be, where we should be, and so we do a lot of modifications. We start behaving in ways that are different, and we start acting in ways that we feel are honoring to God, which is all good. But sometimes... What Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point was that, listen, you clean your hands. You clean the outside of the cup, as it were. But your hearts are far from me. Your heart is what God is after in the first place. And your heart is so far away from God. He said, let your heart be transformed. And then that will lead to the transformation of the other stuff. We said that what happens a lot of time in church is we get really good at filters and behavior modification. And we think it's all about us making decisions to stop doing and start doing, which is true, but it's all an interesting place of where the power comes from. See, because when we live from a relationship of forgiveness, from a position of I'm already received by God because of Jesus, from a place of God lives in me and he's leading me day by day. We have the ability to have our hearts transformed and behave then towards, we from, to the right ways to living. But when we live to get God's forgiveness and we live to get God's favor and we do this to make people think we're better than them or just we're right, we're living in order to get something God has already given, then we're like the Pharisees. We get the outside of the cup all nice and spruced up, but inside of us there's stuff rotting. And it leads us back into that place of brokenness again and again and again. We're saying that the transformation takes place when we open our heart to God's radical power of forgiveness and transformation. And then as he begins to work inside of us, it literally works to the outside. And we begin to do those things because of 
God's love and forgiveness and out of the power that he gives us rather than in order to accomplish something on God's behalf. What we're saying today is we want to take that next step. So let me ask you a question. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? This uh, past year has been a crazy, crazy year. As you guys know that have been on the journey with me, went through a season uh, a year ago. Um, actually, I was in the hospital um, over and over again just trying to figure out what was wrong with me. They thought I had valley fever. They thought maybe it was mono that had, you know, had, had taken over. And I was sick, and I couldn't figure out why I was running really high fevers. And at one point, it reached like 104 plus, 105, and I was so sick, I literally felt like I was going to die. I went into a septic shock where I lost control of my body, and I just basically, like a limp noodle, had to tell Lori while I was in the emergency room in a chair, wheelchair, please hold my head up, I can't breathe. And they took me in, and I just lost all control, basically, as they began to sort it out. Well, they discovered I had, a, after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, actually it was months in the process, they discovered I had a really, really, really rare like one in a million kind of liver infection that would taken over my liver. 70% of it or so had been infected and it was hardened and I was, I was really, really sick. So this time last year, um, it was the beginning of my hospital visits. And really as God brought that all through, we got to see God work and some amazing things happen. Uh, just a couple of months ago, I got the report that my, my liver is like, it's all new. They said it's completely healed. It's, it's well. All my liver counts, my blood counts, and everything else are like right where they're supposed to be. And it's like one of these thank God moments. A year ago, I didn't know if I was going to live. They were telling me it was cancer and all these things. And now here I am, you know, just getting to celebrate another day like this with you. But several months ago, um, it was one of those things that like I started having pains again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, not again. Please, Lord, not again. So they sent me in, I had an MRI, I've had some work done, I'm scheduled for another um, test tomorrow, I'm going in for some ultrasound, because what they discovered is though my liver is great, now my spleen is hyper-enlarged, and it's hanging down below where it's supposed to, and so like no weightlifting, no sports, no anything, just sit around like a potato, and I'm really good at that, right? I'm a person who can never sit still. We had a swimming party at my house yesterday, and I'm out weed whacking all the way through the swim party. I just can't slow. I'm like, I've got to accomplish. I've got to do. It's how I'm wired. I'm like, this comes first. I, I don't know where I get this. I'm Martha on steroids in the Martha Mary. If, if you don't know the reference, it's a Bible story, and go look it up. But anyway, as these several weeks ago, so... Um, we're in this, like, discovery phase again. So what's going on now? What happened to my spleen? Spleens, you know, can, you know, they said if you injure it, it can bleed and you could die because you don't know you're bleeding because it's internal, blah, blah, blah. So don't get punched, don't get in a car wreck, and don't do any, you know, sports. So as I'm doing this, um, same time I'm going through this thing where I'm trying to bring this building project to the close. It's been a year and a half in the process, and, you know, most people do this in three months. Well, I take my time with stuff, and since I was sick for, uh, you know, such a long period of time, it's been so slow. And I remember one particular time I had to go to the county of Los Angeles because I live in the boonies and had to go to their office three days in a row. The first day, they told me, well, come Monday. So I came Monday, sat in the office for an hour and 15 minutes to get told, oh, wow, yeah, the guy can't see you today. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. I'm like, you are kidding. So I'll be here tomorrow, opening time. So will he be tomorrow? Yeah, he'll be here tomorrow. So the next day I came, waited for an hour, and they told me basically, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, he's normally here today, but he's not. Sorry. 
come back tomorrow. And on the third visit, I just brought my truck right through and parked it inside. With every, no, I didn't. I just, I felt like, hey, you know what? I'm so done with this. Well, there were some things going on here, um, staffing changes that we we're looking to hire somebody. We're doing, going through resumes and all this stuff. I, anyway, there are personal stuff. There's family stuff. There's, there's some church stuff. And all of this is keeping me from sleeping. And so I'm up in the middle of the night, and I'm laying there. And I'm not a good sleeper anyway. My mom said from the time I hit the ground, I just never was a sleeper. And so I'm like, man, but I've got to do more than a few hours a night. And I'm laying there in the middle of the night, just staring at the ceiling and just saying, okay, what do I do? And um, literally, I'm taking through a journey that I've been on as I discovered what it is to lean out of my personal worry control moments and into something greater. And so this is that journey today where as, as we go on. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be through uh, verses, start with 4, and we're going to go through verse 8. Paul starts off, Paul, by the way, is the writer of just about half of the New Testament. Paul had a transformation story that just would blow you away. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And basically, Paul's the one that's coming at us with this story of how to make this transition away from life the way we used to live it into the life under the reign of God. As we accept God's rule in our life, as God's rules for how to live life, and we trust him to literally take our problems and our worries. This is Paul's journey as how he, how, what he learned. He said this in verse 4, May you always be joyful in your life in the Lord. In other words, as Jesus has entered your life, this is a story of joy. This is a story of rejoicing. And I want you to get to the point where like every day, you're just like bursting forth. One translation says, rejoice in God and the Lord Jesus. Always rejoice. In other words, just keep celebrating the good things that God has done in your life. Just be full of joy. And wouldn't that be the way to live? Wouldn't you, don't you wish you could just be constantly full of joy? Paul thinks it's possible. Now, we'd say, yeah, Paul, but Paul was like religious, and he got to see miracles and all that, but let me just tell you where Paul is when he writes this. Paul is sitting in the dungeons in Rome, waiting for his execution. This is a guy who has watched as several other Christians at his own behest, at his own, as he was leading the charge, he took Christians out of their church assemblies and had them stoned to death and murdered because of their trust in Jesus. Now he's had a transformation. Now he's the one sitting in a Roman prison cell, riding the churches as he awaits his own day of execution. Now this is a guy who has something to worry about. What's it going to feel like? How's it going to, are they going to lop my head off? Are they going to tear me apart with horses? Are they going to light me on fire? What are they going to do? Paul says, be joyful. It's possible to live in joy regardless. Verse 6. How do I do this, Paul? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally... Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
Other translations say, and the, the mind of Christ will referee in your heart and life over the things that you need to worry about and take care of and things that God is to take care of. God's peace will be there with you. And in this, I find what I literally walked through, just a couple brief things I'm going to hit you with today. If you're wanting to not only survive worry, but you want to thrive in the midst of a crazy world. First thing, worry about nothing. I think it's interesting because we talked last week about anger. And we said that Bible doesn't say don't be angry. In fact, it's a command. Be angry, Paul said, but don't sin. We talk about fear in another week, and it's like the Bible says that fear not, but it also says to fear God, that the fear of God is beginning. So in any other instances, we're told it's okay to do this, but just do it in the right way. But when it comes to worry, I find this very interesting. It says don't be anxious, or the NLT says don't worry, never worry about anything. Literally, he says never worry about anything. Now, Paul wants us to refuse to worry about anything. Why? Because the number one source of stress in your life is probably not work. It's probably not your health. It's probably not relationships. What's keeping you up at night is not that you're overworked. It's that you're over-worried. And worry is what keeps us awake at night. We're over-worried. The Bible is clear that worry is not to have a place in residence with Jesus. It's like Jesus takes up residence in your heart. Worry's got to go. He takes up the space. And Paul says, never worry about anything. So the question, um, Paul, is there some wiggle room? I mean, is there like, is there an exemption for some? No. Worry about nothing. Well, is there an exception because of no? Worry about nothing. But you don't know my wife. No. Worry about nothing. Never worry about anything. Because Paul knew in this world that we live in, we not only have micro worries, which are like your world, your little world, and all the stuff you're going through, that's the micro, but you have macro worries. You've got the big story of the world. And just think about how we even start our day. We wake up, most of us, to an alarm clock, not a peace and safety comfort clock, an alarm. And this morning, I, I, try, I generally set my, I don't even use it because I'm awake before it goes off, but... When it goes off, like this morning, I don't even know how I picked the one that I picked, but it's like, bah, bah, bah. you know, it's like one of those emergency warning, like, you know, some tornadoes are coming kind, and uh, it's, this is alarming, and that's what it is, because we start our day with alarm, and then we roll right off into the morning where we have, we sit down for our Wheaties, and we open up our news app, or we, we read the newspaper, and it's such great stuff out there. And then we get in our cars and we listen to talk radio and we find out that the world is in great shape and everybody's brilliant and everybody's doing an amazing job in all of their posts and you have nothing to worry about, right? It's everything we look at is bad news. It's crazy what's going on out there. I mean, it's not enough to have your own problems. You got to find out about the Mueller report and you got to know if there's school shootings today. You got to know about a million other things. It's like, what kind of world are we living in? Well, pretty much like the world of the first century where you could be ripped out of your house and staked out in front of people and tortured, burned to death if you believed the wrong things, if you said something wrong about Caesar. And, and what we find out is we have lots to worry about, but Paul says don't worry about anything. It's interesting, there was a study done by Dr. Walter Calvert, and he, he discovered that as he studied worry and taking all of these patients and figuring out what they, 40% of your worries will never happen. 
All right? So four out of ten of the things that are pressing on your mind, they're just never going to happen. So out of your ten worries, take four of them, throw them out. They're not going to happen. Then 30% of your worries concern the past. Things that you have absolutely no, you cannot make yesterday different than it was. You can't fix it. You can't rehearse it. You can't rewind. You can't replay. You have to accept it. All right? So all the worry that you're taking from yesterday is just messing up today. We can't control the past, can't control the future. 40% aren't going to happen. That means 70% of all the stuff that's pressing on your mind and your heart are beyond your control. They're worthless. And then he goes on. 12% of your worries are needless health concerns. We're a nation of WebMD hypochondriacs, right? It's like the person who had on their gravestone, you know, see, I told you I was sick. You know, it's like we all think some, we got something, and sometimes we do. But for the most part, 12% of those worries are petty health concerns that aren't even real. And, and then finally, 10% of your worries are insignificant, petty issues that you can't control or fix anyway, which leaves 8% of the average person's life worries and concerns that you actually have something you can do or participate in. Only 8% are potential worries. Potential. And it doesn't change anything. It's stewing without doing. And I was, I was thinking that as I'm laying in bed one of these nights, and, and all these things are kind of pressing in on me. And I'm like, well, there's got to be an exception for, like, concern, all right? Concern. I'm not worried. I'm concerned, right? There's a difference between worry and concern. And I looked it up, and certain people think, think there is. They said, here's what they're, the way they dis distinguish it. That concern is you're sorting out your details of something you must do so that you can do it well. I have a conflict with somebody at work. I have a talk to my boss. I've got to deal with my child. And I've got to, I, I want to think through this so I can process and prepare to do it well. That's concern. When you are ready to take action, you're trying to figure out what the best action is. Those are concerns. When you're worried about something else that somebody else controls, something else in life that you don't have power over, that's worry. Now, whether this is the case or not, I was laying there, and of course, all of mine are concerns. Yours are worries, mine are concerns. No, I'm, I'm laying there. I'm literally saying, okay, um, yeah, there's a couple of them that are concerns. I'm working out how to deal with this. But to be honest, most of it is I'm just, I'm just worried. I'm stressed. And the fact is, worry, I've learned also, is a learned response to challenges. What's good news is that if it's a learned response, if I learned it, I can unlearn it. I can learn to respond differently. So how do you unlearn it? Jesus, before we ever get Paul's take on it, Jesus tells us something that Paul literally is echoing in his teaching. It's where he came up with this idea. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that true? He's saying, don't open your umbrella until it rains. Some of you are walking around with your umbrella just in case, everywhere you go, but it might, but you never know, and, and you're just worried all the time. And just think about it. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Yesterday you were worried about tomorrow and these things that would happen, and today you're worrying about tomorrow stuff. It's today is the tomorrow yesterday you were worried about. Did it fix anything? The key to reducing stress, Paul said, is by living in the grace and leading 
The reign of God in your life, the kingdom of heaven, is basically when you submit to the reign and the rule of God in your daily life. He said, this is what it looks like. It's living one day at a time. It's just taking this day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today and worry about nothing. And when he wrote this, again, he was in prison. He's awaiting the judgment on his own life. And I find that this interesting thing that when God tells us no to, about something, when he tells us not to do something, there's usually a positive replacement. He doesn't give us the freedom to worry, but what he does, he said, replace it with something better. So when God gives us a don't, he provides us a do. Here's the do, number two. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. He goes on, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests. Who? Present them to God. You might say, Dave, I don't have time to pray. Man, if you knew my schedule, if you were trying to keep up with what I do, you wouldn't have unbelievable amount of pressure in your life. So I can't pray. I don't have time to pray. Well, can I just suggest something? If you substitute prayer for worry, you'd have prayer time. If you just take out all your worry time and swap it right into prayer time, you would be a praying monster. You would find time to pray all night long, probably some of you, throughout the day. Just pray when you used to worry. If you use that time, man, I'll tell you what, you have a lot less to worry about. In everything, Paul said, not just some things. You can pray about everything, but some, but wait, wait. You mean I could pray about non-religious stuff? Because a lot of people, when they come to God, they're like, you know, he's only concerned about like the, the spiritual religious part of me, right? Well, actually, no. You mean I, I, can, I can pray about personal stuff? You mean he doesn't want to know just about praying about like my sins and tithing and that sort of stuff? He cares about the other stuff? Yes. But, but he's interested in like my car payments, my mortgage, my girlfriend problems? Yes. Is he interested in my post-nasal drip and the heartbreak of psoriasis? I mean, <laughs> what, what does it all contain? It's like everything. He said bring everything. He's interested in every detail. Philip's translation, I love this. When you pray, Tell God every detail of your life. I love that. Do you have a personal God that you can tell personal things to? Or is there just some, like, man upstairs? Is there just some, like, distant old grandpa in a rocking chair letting the clock wind down? What is your God like? Is he personal? Because if he's not, then you better maybe trade him in for the Christian New Testament God who is very, very personal. When you pray... Tell God every detail of your life. Jesus even went to the trouble of telling him in Luke chapter 2 that God even has your hairs on your head numbered, which is like God's calculators out all the time for mine because it's like changing all the time. It's like he knows that detail about you. So he cares. If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about it, so give it to God. Paul said pray with petition. So what is petition? Well, the petition basically is another way of saying Get specific with God. Get detailed. It's the problem with a lot of us. We pray prayers. We don't even know if they're answered because it's like, hey, God, please bless me. He's like, okay. And he does. And we're like, please bless me. Well, I did. Well, what does that mean exactly? What is it to be blessed? Because sometimes a problem is a blessing in disguise. You're praying for problems in your life? What does it mean? What are you asking God for? Give me specifics. So what you do is, I like Peter says it this way, verse, chapter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries and your cares to God. Why? 
Because he cares about you. Your father is crazy about you. Just like when my kids were little, man, if they came to me with anything, it's like little worries about their day. And of course, it's like matchbox size worries. And yet you're looking at that and you're laughing, you're chuckling to yourself like, wait till you get the rest of life, man. This, this is your worry right now? And God is looking at us chuckling. You're worried about this? Have you talked to the galaxies that are trying to collide right now? Have you learned that there's a, well, you know, a little closer to the sun, you're toast. A little farther away, you freeze. Your worries are big. No, and God doesn't worry about anything. And since he doesn't worry and he's in control of all of it, he's saying, hey, I care about you. Bring your worries to me. And some people ask, you know, Dave, how do you handle your worries? Well, here's what I've learned. Because I'm laying in my bed, middle of the night, and I'm starting to think about, oh, man, what if we go back in and they're, you know, they're checking for tumors in this thing, and we're, we got all this. What if I find there's something? And I start worrying about this. I'll be honest, folks, there's, um, there's been some space, because when you go through some hard stuff and you go through some painful stuff, and when you feel like, you know, you've really experienced real life, then you've got to bring your real-life experiences to God and surrender those because you know what it's like to carry pain and loss. And so you're like, God, can I trust you with this? Because, like, last time didn't work out so good. What do I do? So for me, as I'm laying in bed and I'm worried about so many of these things and, and financial stuff and pressures and all these things start mounting and all the health stuff and the church stuff, and I'm just like, okay, I can't do this. When I decide that I can no longer manage the universe, I give it up and give it to God. I love the Greek word for this, give all your worries. Give literally means to throw or to dump on God. It's like you're carrying something that's going, you know, it's taking you down, and you're like, I finally bring it to God, and I'm like, ugh, and they just heave it on him. That's the concept. When Jesus said, trade me your yoke, your way of doing life, your burdens, from my yoke, my way of doing life. Because mine is easy. My load is easy. My burden is light. You're like, I'll take it. How do I do that? Then change your direction of your energy. Your energy is all about, oh, me, me, me. Change it this way where it's like, God, you, you, you. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. So laying in my bed, I'm literally like taking each one of those things that's on my mind and I'm handing it to God. I'm taking my backpack, but for me, I needed to physically, mentally just kind of like hand it off. So I'm like handing God each one of these things and saying, I'm not taking them back. Next morning, here they are. They're coming back. I give them away again. The next night, I'm handing them off again. All afternoon, handing them off again. This is the giving, throwing, placing the burden back on God. It's interesting. I read yesterday that insurance companies have discovered that church people, people who go to church on a weekly basis, extend their life between seven and ten years. Another good reason. If you're not a Christ follower, you can join today. Get an extra 10 years out of life. And they ask why, and they're trying to discover all this why. But one of the reasons they keep coming back to is because there's a disemburdening. There is a transfer of garbage of all my weight to God. When people come to church, one of the things we do is we sing. We call it worship because that's one of the ways you worship. Worship is a way of living that's in honor of God, but that's one of the ways we focus in on God. Worship is an opportunity. Prayer and singing is a way of saying, I'm looking at you. I'm getting my eyes on you. If you were to close one eye and take your finger and put it like this, this is how we live. This is worry. 
This is God in the world. When we do this, we can't see God in the world because our problems are so close, we can't see anything else. Worship does this. It brings it out here. So now we can see God and everything else, and the perspective of my problems gets to where it should be. It's a tiny thing in the cosmos of God's dealings that he can handle. Worship helps you disemburden. Get it off your chest. Give it to God. Give it to God. As we worship today and we close in just a few minutes, you're going to get that opportunity. If you don't talk, with, talk it out with God, then guess what? You're going to take it out on yourself. And when you swallow your worries, your stomach keeps track. And it does things to you like I have experienced and am experiencing. Unload it. 1 Peter 5, 7, the Phillips translation says this. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. For you are his personal concern. It's kind of like when... When my kids are anywhere, Tyler right now is in Korea and um, South Korea. And when, when Tyler went to Korea, like my concerns transferred to the other side of the earth. When my kids get up and they go do something out of the ordinary, special. My daughter moved away to Costa Mesa, you know, a couple years back. And as, as she did, I'm like, part of me goes, it's because my concern is with them. And that's what it's like. It's like, hey, you, you can give it to God. Let your concern, let your worry, give it to him. He, you are his personal concern. A father's heart is always with you wherever you are. So ask him to help you. Here's the, the key. Turn your worries into prayers and give them to God. Third thing, thank God in all things. Thank him in all things. When you pray, he says, pray with thanksgiving. Good news version, I love this. Always asking him with a thankful heart. I read that the healthiest human emotion is not love. We kind of think, oh, the best thing you could possibly feel is love. But the statistics tell us, in psychological terms, the healthiest emotion you can have, the focus you, is generosity or gratitude. Gratitude and thankfulness is actually the healthiest thing because it changes your perspective on all of your life. When you start thinking about what is going right and what you have to be thankful for, it literally changes the lens of what you're focusing on. I love that. It actually increases your immune system. It makes you more resistant to stress, less susceptible to illness. It, it causes healthier respiration, healthier heart and lungs. The attitude of gratitude literally helps you to step into that place that he's talking about. Be joyful always. When you constantly keep in front of you what you're grateful for, it changes you. This is the song count your blessings, name them one by one. We used to sing that when I was a kid in church. Count your blessings, name them one by one. I know I'm a vocalist. You guys can't wait to get me up here. But that's a great idea. I actually did it yesterday, and as I'm sitting there, and I'm just praying and prepping and thinking about things, I'm literally like, what in the world would I have to worry about? You've given me literally the best possible friend and partner, love in Lori, my wife. I'm like 35 years coming up. I'm like, this is the best. My kids, they all know you, love you, follow you. I'm looking at a life that is so blessed. I have this grandbaby that just brings me delight every time I see him. I have this family, this, my, my cousins, my parents, these extended family. I'm like so blessed to be a, a family of faith, people who love and support me. I literally look at that. I've got a beautiful home. I've got cars to drive, and I've got things that I've got money to pay bills when necessary all the time. I've got all of those things that I'm looking at life from this, oh, life is so hard and frustrating, and I'm literally saying, 
What a baby. You big cry. Look at the life you have, and you're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. You're stressing over this. And literally, just sitting there yesterday focusing on all this stuff, I'm like, I begin to burst out with joy. The thankfulness of God, I'm just, God, thank you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I'm like, that is what I want to do. I want to be a thankful person. The Bible tells us, man, that we live in that direction. When we live in an attitude of worship, we live in an attitude of appreciation. And if you don't know, if that's you, when's the last time you wrote a thank you card to somebody? When's the last time you paid that person at the restaurant a full tip or more because you were so grateful? It was a great meal and great service. When's the last time you went out of your way to stop somebody and thank them? We did that this morning in our, in our volunteer circle, just thanking somebody. This will change your perspective again. Another way to get that reversed in your eyes. And final thing, think about the right things. When your mind goes negative, when your mind goes to that heavy stuff, finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, any of these things that are praiseworthy or excellent, think about it, think about it. You become what you think about most. And, and I'm just like, man, that's really terrible because I'd be a cupcake if that were true in physical terms. Like, I mean, no, seriously, they're like, we would become monsters if we gave ourselves to the things we think about. Did you know that your mind literally goes to negative every time you give it a rest? It goes to the problems, the concerns, the worries. It goes negative. Did you know it takes a Herculean energy and focus to decide I'm not going to do that? It takes retraining. This is where we surrender to the work of Christ in us. That's why I said this is God's will for you. You want to know God's will for your life? That you thank him for all of that stuff. Be regular in thanking him in worshiping him and getting your focus on him. Turn your mind to the good things. If you flip out and like, oh, I'm going to check out Game of Thrones or whatever lately. And like, you want to put all that in? Garbage in, garbage out. You wonder why those words slip out of your, wor your mouth. If you're watching those kind of, listen to that kind of music, you just like, hey, what am I doing? The scriptures are clear. You want to change the way, the outcome of your life? Change the income to your life. You want to change the outflow of your life? Change the inflow of your life. Begin to process these things. It'll change the way you think it'll change the way you live. As the band comes right now and we wrap up, I want to tell you that when my struggle in the middle of the night reached a point where it's like, I'm, I'm done with this, I literally began the habit of walking through these steps, quoting this passage. Just qu I memorized it, and I just would quote it. And I would start by saying, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So I turned my worries into prayers and I began to give them to God right in the middle of the night, right there as I lay in my bed. Right in the morning when I first wake up and I start processing the challenges or the problems or things that are pressing, I start saying, I'm giving it to God. That's why I like to start my day with prayer, with, with worship and scripture because it gets my mind framed around the things that God is doing rather than the pressures of my life and what I can do. That's why worship is really important. That's why I stop and pray over my meals. Not because it's a religious thing, you know, got to do it. No, it's because it literally brings me back to the focus of, oh yeah, God, you're in charge, and I'm just taking in the goodness that you provide. Thank you for this now, like everything else. It's just little times throughout the day. That's why I like to end my day with, basically, it's kind of reflection prayer. As I get ready to close my eyes and go to sleep at night, and just, what went good today? 
what went bad? Where was God present? And where did I acknowledge and call out and thank him for things? God, I want to close my day like I started it, thanking you, worshiping you, and just telling you I'm all in. Just lead me. Folks, I'm, just, I'm not going to tell you that I've had like no worries past that day when I did this, but I'm just telling you, it's retraining my mind. And it's reorienting my focus. This bottled up junk is now has a place to go, and I am so grateful that God is redirecting. And I want to pray for you that God would do the same. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, as we wrap up, what a day, what a great day to celebrate life change. But there's more than just the people who walked into the baptismal tank. There's the people who are sitting right here and are wrestling with real stuff and are saying, oh, but not me. It's somebody else's story. It's somebody else's version. It's somebody else's relief. It's somebody else's rescue. It's not mine. God, I just today, I just pray that you would penetrate our defenses and all our excuses and all those things that clamor to the surface when we try to make a change. And I just pray that today, whoever hears these words and wants to change their direction would open their heart. We know that real change takes place in the heart. That's where it starts, and then it flows out. So God, I pray that as we open our heart, every one of us here who's wanting a joyful outlook on life would take to heart your words, Lord God, and say, that's me, that's me. I open my heart. I need your transforming presence in me. Holy Spirit of God, dwell in me, live in me, and empower me to live the life of joy that you've called me into. I know that means that every day I'm going to have to make surrenders of things I want to carry that aren't mine. Every day I'm going to have to trust you in ways that I can't control things because you only, only you can. And I'm going to have to trust you with the outcomes when they don't go the way I wanted. Today, Lord God, I step in and place my trust in you. And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we close today, stand with me. We're going to sing this song that's going to give our focus back to God as we send you out of here in worship today. So let's sing together. Oh
much for joining us this morning. We hope to see you guys next week.